Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to Rider Reviews. Today, I have co-host Zoe. Hello. And what are we going to review today, Zoe? We are going to review the movie 1917. An incredible World War One performance. Yeah, so... Um, it's amazing. Would you mind giving us like a non-spoiler review of 1917? A non- non-spoiler? Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, it's... Basically, it starts with these two uh, soldiers who... Uh, are given this mission to basically go across the what? What would you call it? The the uh, no man's land. No man's land. Thank you. And they have to go across that alone and try to uh, inform the other pl- platoon, I guess, uh, that they uh, should not do their next run because if they do, it's a trap from the Germans and they will all die, including one of the soldier's brother. And it's just basically that uh, an adventure in one day, and it's all one shot, kind of, technically. Yeah, that sounds... A, the way I would describe it, it's like Saving Private Ryan, but instead of it being several battles, it is just one day, and you follow two guys. Yeah. And one of them it, happens you basically, to... Basically, yeah. You feel like you're there with them. And one of them's Tommen from Game of Thrones. That's right. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot. I recognized him. The other guy, he's a he's a new actor. He was in a uh, movie uh, called Captain in Fantastic. Captain Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Which I really enjoyed actually. Colin Firth's in it. Kennedy Cumberbatch is in it. Um uh, such a good movie. Richard... I was actually really surprised that that movie was like that good. Yeah, um World War One, oddly enough, in cinema is not very touched on in often because, like you, they're, like they're, I've, there's a, millions of war movies, and most of them are extremely cliche. Oh, for sure. Like I'm in the military, and I could say this: like a lot of these movies, like have been kind of lame, to be honest with you. There's like some really good ones, like I get it, but like a lot of movies are, I feel like, are more pertaining to people. Like I just want to see tons of violence. And my political agenda pushed in the right way. Uh-huh. And that's how I've kind of seen it. But with 1917, there wasn't really a political agenda. It's just these two guys is trying to get a message to another battalion. And the various size of battalions, I know with the American Army, like, I've seen a battalion from up to 300 to 800 soldiers. And his brother... Oh, who is played by uh, Richard Madden, who was in Game of Thrones also, he was Rob Stark, mm-hmm. um, was was a lieutenant in one of these battalions. So in these charges, his brother would be leading the charge and possibly be dying. Yeah. And so um, when you like when you were going into this movie, did you expect it to be this good? Um, well, see, I wanted it to be good, but when I first saw the um, preview, I wasn't really all that impressed just because I was just like, ah, here, here we go. Just another war movie. Just another one of those things that people are just going to be like, oh, like, you know, the glory of war or whatever. Like, it just didn't really excite me when I first saw it, um, it coming out. And then when someone told me that it was all shot, like, as a continuous take, I was like, oh, that's, that's super interesting because I, for one, like, loved the movie Birdman, and that was, like, the first movie I'd ever seen where they had done something like that. And so 
that really caught my attention. So I went into the movie not really having any expectations for what it was going to be. I didn't even really know what the movie was going to be about. I just knew, like, uh, the film technique that they were going to do. And the cinematographer, Roger Deakins, is incredible. So I was like, well, if, you know, they've got a good uh, amount of work going into it, I guess I should give it a try. And then I was pretty much blown away <laughs> by the first just like couple of scenes I guess it's just incredible and just the whole fact that like it wasn't like this big glory movie it was more about just these two guys that are just trying to survive and that was really more realistic back in those times like when people were winning medals like it was all really just about luck and about chance like it wasn't all bravery yeah, and I kind of thought the same way too. But and when it came to like Sam Mendes being a director, like two like some of his favorite movies that I've seen, like he he did American Beauty, which I thought was an amazing movie. It's just about oh yeah, fantastic like, American suburb living and a dude being oddly attracted to his daughter's friend. Um, Road to Perdition also a very good movie. Jarhead, which is a very well written war movie, even though the sequels are complete trash. And I just love Jake Gyllenhaal so much. Um, he did yeah, he did a few uh, Bond movies. He did Penny Dreadful. I like watched yeah. a, I watched a few episodes of that. It's all right. But when it comes to like uh, Roger Deakins, he has made so many good Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Like he filmed No Blade Country. Runner, Twenty Forty Nine. Yeah. Sicario. No, no Country for Old Men. Yeah. The Village, A Beautiful Mind, Brother Where Art Thou. He's worked a lot with the uh, Coen Brothers. He worked with uh, Martin Scorsese with uh, Kundun, but when it comes to, like, his... I really was didn't know how he was going to come off of Blade Runner 2049 and just hop into straight like this, but I feel like he was able to yeah. properly film it. And I think he knows how to use scenes to properly capture emotion. Like, I remember in mm -hmm. Sicario, there's a scene when they're about to go... Spoiler alert, this is what happens in the movie. They're about to go, like, do, like, a final battle with, like, the drug dealers, even though it's in a tunnel and you see at night and you see this old uh the fbi agents just encroaching in onto the the tunnel and like the sun's slowly going down and i've never been to combat so i'm not gonna be like well one this one time at the war zone this happened but like i've, I've experienced that feeling when we're on a long pat patrol quotation marks on a training mission and like just looking to the side of me and you see the sun going down and you just see like the outline of like your guys is like slowly going to black and you see that in Sicario and in 1917 they really portrayed just like true darkness and how like it is it's a yeah. super odd feeling like how it's very ominous even for me like w we were not in war we we're just training but it was just, like yeah. it is very unique just to see how they properly portrayed how soldiers act even though it's like 120 years apart from me and my friends when we were at Fort Dix to these dudes fighting in France. Yeah. And this for like Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes to properly portray that. And I just like, I just like uh, Sam, uh, Roger Deakins so much because I'm a huge fan of Blade Runner and yeah. Sicario because I just love Dennis Villeneuve. Oh yeah. Super good director. So I feel like we're going to probably spoil the movie pretty soon. So if you haven't seen 1917 yet, <laughs> We're going to spoil the hell out of it, so... It will be very spoiled. <laughs> yeah. 
So, like, you can start off, how would you, like, describe the start of the movie when... I, um, absolutely loved, like, just, I mean, I, I didn't really think anything, um, of the first shot in the beginning, but at the, by the end of the movie, I thought it was just so clever how they, like, foreshadowed, I guess, the ending shot as well, and just the symbolism between, you know, the first and last, um, shots just really brought in i guess the the rest and the pain that like both of them are going to go through man i just thought that that was so cool i think having and, watched like, like you can go on i thought yeah i just think like the first shot too being like so beautiful and so peaceful and starting a war movie that's so violent and like horrible with just this like nice peaceful shot i thought was really interesting how they wanted to go with that because it just starts off the whole thing that like oh these soldiers are just kind of chilling out and how how quickly a scene can change like just in war from being you know at peace to going through something so chaotic yeah and um i just felt like i enjoy that scene because the movie starts and ends with um one of the characters, uh, Lance Corporal William Schofield, just laying up against a tree, and it ends with him laying up against a tree. So I kind of enjoyed that, that uh, symbolism. I just thought it was cool, just like having been in the service. Like, yeah, I know, I know exactly how it feels to probably be. Well, they were actually fighting a war. We were just training for having long days and just like sleeping and putting my helmet over my eyes and just like acting like I'm actually trying to do something productive, but I was actually just <laughs> right. sleeping on American tax dollars. <laughs> And I just, I thought that was very interesting, like, when the lieutenant just, I thought it was cool that they were just able to portray, like, how soldiers actually act in the field, even though, like, Mm -hmm. the field and war are two completely different things, I can only speak about my experience from the field, but you bring up the beauty of that, what, like, the serene environment, and I remember there's a documentary called Restrepo, which is about, um, uh, I think it's the 173rd Infantry Division out in Afghanistan, and this one guy was talking about how beautiful the mounds were, that... If, there, if this wasn't a war zone, he would honestly visit this country just to go snowboarding because of how beautiful and serene it was. And he was talking about how it's very odd for him to be finding a country so pretty and literally watching his friends die in front of him. Yeah. And I've never been to Europe, but I, all my friends have been to Europe say it's bopping and like extremely pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of weird to hear that comparison and then seeing just like how destructive and chaotic it was for them. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, and I, I think it's also super interesting too that Sam Mendes, uh, uh, hold on. So did Sam Mendes write the story? Am I correct? He wrote nineteen seventeen. Sam Mendes or... developed the idea of nineteen seventeen, but yeah. it's not based on a true story. Right. Yeah, because he he developed it through um his uh, uh great grandfather or grandfather talking about his own experiences in this war. And how, like, a lot of his stories weren't, like, revolved around, you know, oh, like, you know, this, the bravery of all these soldiers. It was really quite, like, you know, uh, disastrous and chaotic and scary. And, you know, there there was just a lot of luck that happened in his survival, basically. Essentially, yeah. I just, like, this is World War One. Like, they, like, this war literally changed how we 
set up laws like the geneva convention had to be set up because yeah. people were literally being like being killed with mustard gas in like the yeah. most horrible of ways such a massive massive amount of people that died in this war <laughs> this was the first war where a large amount of people sustainably died in a short amount of time yeah and everyone was like oh fuck this sucks like <laughs> uh, do something about this like this is the war to end all worlds lo and behold we had round two with world war ii which got yeah, even worse. World War Three is coming up. <laughs> yeah, World War Three. I can't wait to fight in that. I was like, right. see you, Dad. Have fun. Take care of my pet rock. But like these guys literally thought this was gonna be the last war ever fought in the world. But it's actually I don't even think these guys even thought that these guys just wanted to go home because uh they they get assigned to that mission or whatever and the one of the officers like go meet the colonel in uh, the dugout in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, I've dug a trench before for a training mission, and it kind of sucked. It really sucked a lot. Like I, I remember just digging. Yeah, it was it was cold. It was like ten degrees outside, and uh, just you against the elements. <laughs> yeah, it was like we like we were fighting a notional enemy, and like they would ambush us, and we actually had to fight back with just fake rounds in our guns that like it would make the sound that we were shooting but nothing mm-hmm. comes out it is it's weird how it works but yeah and so like we were always on like we had to act like it was really war even though there's like no actual consequences if you get shot other than you could fail the mission and you get yelled at but in this real life and like for them it, that wasn't the fact like you will die like that bullet hit this is world war this is like 1917 medical advancements have not six. <laughs> We're not that well, like, created back in that time. Yeah. People were probably still leeching people at that time to get rid of diseases. And so he, they meet up with that colonel, and the colonel pretty much says that uh, Evans' battalion is going to attack at dawn, and you, your brother's in that, and, uh, Lance Corporal Tom Blake, or Tommen, uh, from Game of Thrones has to go make it there by daylight to stop it or else his brother and all those men will uh die. Yep. So it's like what? it, it reminds me of they, they did, like so many lives on just their shoulders. <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't know. It just seemed like such a like I mean, I guess there's so many so many other horrible things that people have to go through, but that just seems like such a like like a 180. <laughs> like you go from sitting you know, peacefully in a field to, you know, thinking that you're going to go like, oh, we're going to do like an assignment that's not going to take very long. Instead, you're, you now have like the lives of so many, like thousands of men, including like one of your brothers and you have to do this mission alone and going through enemy territory. Like that's just insane. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. It's like, thing is these guys aren't, I'm honestly older than probably both both Corporal Schofield, Lance Corporal Schofield, and Lance, Corp- Lance Corporal Blake. Like, they're not yeah. older than 20. Like, no, yeah. Like, they're did you babies. have. Did you have this. Could you handle this much responsibility when you were like 18 years old? Oh my gosh. I would have just probably had a panic attack and been like, bro, just pick someone else. There's so many other people. <laughs> like, I. Yeah, I don't know. There's so, I was watching this movie and I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't know how I'd be able to just do that i mean i guess you become so desensitized by war but i mean like even still like that shit is just 
so disturbing. Like, even just the beginning of, uh, <laughs> like, when they're walking through uh, those, like, trenches and stuff, and they're going through the barbed wire, and he, like, cuts his hand open. Like, I don't know, my immediate thought was, like, oh, you can get rust in that and then get locked jaw and die. <laughs> I was just, get, like, starting to think of like, the disease that comes with that. You can get tetanitis. Because that's, yeah. I, I, just seeing that, and it's like, like, I kept having to go through my head, like, these guys aren't any older than, like, 21 at the oldest. Yeah. Like, Lance yeah. Corporal Schoolfield is probably maybe 23 at the oldest, and I enlisted, I, uh, I enlisted later on in life. I was, like, 20 when I enlisted, and I, I saw the maturity level difference between me, because I had attended college for a little bit, and I didn't think I was that mature compared to, like, the people I was in college with. And then when I went to my basic training, I was like, wow, like I somehow am more mature than a large group of 18 year olds in high school, like and kids fresh out of high school. It was the weirdest feeling ever, like having to explain like certain, like how life works to people with like my little experience of working the front desk of my boy's dorm. Yeah, for sure. I feel like 18 to 24, you like mature so so fast and you just become such a completely different person like I couldn't imagine like being at the maturity level that I was at 18 doing shit like that I mean I couldn't imagine doing anything like that at any age but being so young and so naive and so like uh, you got your whole life ahead of you and now you're right in war you're in a war zone it's crazy yeah, and it's just it's just a very unique situation to them because a lot of these guys don't I don't think necessarily grew up with war. And I think it's different for our generation because uh I don't know how old you are, but I remember watching the Twin Towers go down and like from there on my existence has been like oh like in the background of like my like microcosm there has been a war and I've at least known one yeah. person or related to one person that was overseas. And that's and being in the military now like it's a, it's a different experience knowing people that are over there and like having, I, I literally have a relative over there right now and it's a different experience for us. Cause like we have kind of grew up in a culture where war was a very common thing that we try to forget about. And over yeah. this time, everyone knows this war is going on because it's probably like the most exciting thing that they have because television doesn't exist. Other right. things don't exist. So the other, the only thing they could focus on is probably one of the most negative nihilistic things they can imagine is, reading the names of young men that passed away in their hometown. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so they get that message and they're just making their way through the trenches trying to figure out what's the best spot that they have to go. And you just see just like guys just sleeping in the trenches and guys just overall not having that good of a time. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, there really isn't any type of um, shelter for them. They were all just sitting in a, bowl basically just (laughs) really just against the elements like rain snow the cold like anything that's all the sun it's all beaten down on you and you really don't have any kind of way to run away from that because the only place that you have is the trench because if you leave the trench you're gonna die you're gonna get shot and like there's little like cutouts in the dirt where it was like comfortable for people to stay but i was Right, but I mean, like, even still, like, there's still people running past you. Like, I could never imagine, like, how would they sleep? Like, jeez. And 
like not like not much has changed. Like people still hate training in the cold. Like I remember right. being in training, and luckily we had trucks to sleep inside of. So, like for one train mission, I was a gunner, and we would just sleep inside our trucks most of the time. Or we had a tent where like thirty of us would sleep on cots. These guys didn't have that. Like these guys were literally sleeping like this up against the walls because it's World War One France. Is this yeah? This is is this France? Yeah, it's northern France. Yeah. And so that's how they sleep. And I just remember, I remember like at least I slept somewhat better because I was inside an enclosed vehicle. Like it wasn't that comfortable, and I was in full kit. For them, like at least I had body armor because back then they didn't have body armor. Like I remember there's a video game called Battlefield One, and there's one or two characters that have like knight's armor, and that's an actual thing that guys would try to build their own body armor and fight in that. So like, crazy. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's downright insane because they just want to survive or have a, at least the yeah mindset like this will protect me from live ammunition, and uh, it just it's just crazy. So like they like I just remember they were making their way and they meet up with this one lieutenant that uh, it was like well th- there's an opening right there have fun boys and uh, shoot a flare. Oh yeah, that was uh, Andrew Scott, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's so many like weird cameos that are only in here for like four seconds like benedict cumberbatch colin firth like richard madden like just people that like show for like three seconds and then that's it but i I thought that andrew scott's like character was actually super interesting because it just seemed like like (laughs) he just had seen so much you know like it was just like at this point it was like he'd seen it all you know like Oh, yeah. You need to... I'm just so worn down. <laughs> like, nothing seemed to really bother them anymore. Even the concept of two guys going alone over into, you know, enemy territory where no man's land. He's like, well, like, better that, you than me. And that kind yeah. of mindset. So they just make their way. And then he's like, just... He gives them a flare gun. And he's like, well, if you get shot, can you just nicely just toss it over? Yeah. And so they just make their way through. And... The, like, he's like, oh, yeah, beware of the craters. They're a lot deeper than, you, than like, they look. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're making their way through no man's land. It's just, like, it's they, they spared nothing to the imagination. Like, it was just as gross. And yeah. I felt like I could smell the decomposed bodies when I was, like, uh, watching yeah. that. And I was like, goodness gracious, that probably sucks. Yeah. Can, can you believe that, like, the art department literally, like, built all of those sets from scratch? Like... All of that was just built, like, by people, and, like, that's just crazy how in, how insane, like, all of that must have been. Like, there was, like, uh, oh, my goodness, how much was it? But, like, I have it somewhere. The budget it's was like, between 90 and $100 million, but sadly, it only made $84.7 million, apparently. No! That can't be right. <laughs> That sucks. Well, think about Blade Runner. Blade, both Blade Runners didn't make a lot of money when they first came out, and then they eventually became cult classics. That's true. This movie is like it's up for what Best Picture? Yeah, it's nominated yeah. for so yeah. many awards. Yeah, fifteen hundred feet of trenches that they built. That's crazy. Just because, like, because they had to film it all like, uh, in one continuous shot. Um, or shots that seamlessly like came together to appear as if it was one shot they had to like 
have so many different sets like together and like they didn't use like the same location twice so just everything was just built uh to accommodate that that's so crazy yeah they essentially just replicated world war one france and yeah <laughs> what is this mind it's just mind-blowing in a way because they made it look real like yeah and it and you just see like how like how much neither of them are having a good time throughout the entire time of this whole situation and then it gets to like when they have to go they're about to storm the trenches of the german line and they're like getting their battle stance ready because like they could be facing german soldiers like an entire (laughs) yeah even though that they said like oh yeah they're gone like the enemies are gone germans are gone like they they don't know that for sure no the thing is comms didn't exist like this is like world war one like the main reason why they sent these guys is like the phone lines were cut. Like they relied on phone lines, and I've, I've heard stories of messenger pigeons. That's probably not true, but they relied on phone lines for all these things, and they they were easily cut. Like nowadays, our comms still fail to this day, and it is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Like I've been on train operate. Like I've seen guys just whip out their phones to call someone because the radio wasn't working properly. They didn't have that luxury in nineteen seventeen. Yeah. They were like, well, I guess we just have to hope. <laughs> yeah, so let's hope these two guys make it all the way over. <laughs> and it's actually insane that he makes it all the way over. Oh, yeah. So they go well. through that. Uh, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> One of them dies. Yeah. <laughs> horribly, actually. <laughs> Very horribly. When you really think about it. So it's, they, yeah, let's, we'll get there. <laughs> so they, they go through the trench or whatever, and they're just like searching around. And, like, these trenches are so massive, they have, like, street signs. Because they have to be able to organize all this chaos. And they, uh, they find a tunnel. And they realize that, like, how dug in these German soldiers were. And they were, like, they were living down here. They could stay down here for, like, years. And which they... I felt kind of bad for them because they were probably like going from like sitting in like a dirt pocket to going and seeing like like bed cots and they're probably like, wait a second, we could have been doing this. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a, well, that was a mine shaft, so I guess it was already there, but still, like that's for true. the yeah. for them to set up bunks. I don't know if you've ever stayed at summer camp. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if you're Adventist, you probably at one point or another slept on a bunk. <laughs> so so fun. So summer camp prepared me for the army, but like when you sleep in a bunk with like 30 to 20 other people it is so easy to get sick because oh, yeah. everyone's breath is just blowing in one direction or the other and we had a fan and it would just blow air into one direction so if someone was sick and someone coughed everyone in that fan's direction would get it so world war one i uh, i took a course uh. and when I, I, I i've taken a, like a course in like field health and how to stay healthy when you're in like a combat zone or just in train situation mm-hmm. and world war one there was more there was just as many casualties from dudes getting sick oh from, yeah then bullets and grenades all together yeah it's so like could you imagine that just all these people just stuck in one like little trench together trying not to get sick dude people get sick in the dorms when i was in yeah. college <laughs> like i would, it's hella easy. It's extremely easy, and they're prob they're malnourished. 
yeah. Like, I've lived off of, like, MREs for long periods of time, and those are still... People complain about MREs. I'm like, dude, in World War One, they were literally looked like either were eating bread. That's what, like... Yeah. You see the... I don't be- think their immune system was very high. <laughs> I don't think they were having, like, emergency or something Yeah, like they didn't that. have Tang back in the day to help them from, like, getting super-duper sick. Yeah. And like, so- the guys didn't even eat. The, the character... Oh, well, they had bread in the beginning. Yeah, but he like, was they, super... <laughs> they didn't even eat. You didn't see that? They were geeking out over bread. I know. I was like, damn. <laughs> Same. I, I, <laughs> I also geek over bread. <laughs> yeah. So, they make their way through the trends, and I think the one thing that um meant a lot was, early in the movie, was it before this, when he talks about, oh, you got a medal for fighting a battle, and he brings yeah. up, oh, I threw it away. Yeah. I gave it away. That I, was... That was like near like the cherry blossom scene, right? Okay, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll get that. But I think one thing, he looks, he grabs a, he sees a photo on one of the beds in some guy's mm-hmm. family, yeah. and it makes you realize these dudes are people too. Like, I yeah. Th- it doesn't I, matter. Like you think you always think you're the good guy on whatever side you're on. Yeah. And so like. It's really heartbreaking knowing that, like, it. these are, exactly, these are people, too. They're just here. They're soldiers, too, just fighting for their own part, their country. And then knowing that, like, you know, they have families, too. It's just, it's sad. It, it, it humanizes so many. And then, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this guy probably had a family, like a wife and kids, and he's getting pulled back because they want to ambush another country, and he's probably like, man, yeah. this sucks. I have to sleep outside again. These bu- Yeah. And so they make their way through the tunnel more, and uh, they find canned food, and they see rats everywhere. Yeah. They were thick rats. <laughs> Those rats were Have you ever big. been to the East Coast before? I have. <laughs> have you seen the rats in the East Coast? <laughs> I unfortunately have not been blessed to see a <laughs> giant East Coast rat before. Like, in, if for any of my friends that ever, like, been to Cuba or, like, overseas, I know in Guatemala. I remember my dad was telling me, I kid you not, my dad was telling me the story about giant rats in Guatemala because they can just eat whatever things are on the ground because it's a third world country and they have a lot uh-huh. of things to scamper and eat. And he literally was like, oh, yeah, sometimes, like, we would just put snakes inside our... Like the inside, like the innards of our walls, and they would eat them rats. And I was like, "That's how big they were." I was like, "Oh yeah, they were gigantic." And in my like my friends that live in New York, they're like, "Oh yeah, it's casual to see rats the size of dogs." I'm like, "And you guys are cool what? with this? Hello. You guys are okay with this?" It's like, I can't imagine, dude. I'm from, I'm from, I'm from the, I'm from the Midwest. People see deer, but on the East Coast, it's like rats. Yeah, dude. I'm in. I'm from Kansas, dude. We just have horses. I'm from the suburbs, dude. I see dogs. Suburbs. Dogs, horses, cats. Chickens on occasion for the homesteaders in our area. (laughs) Yeah, so they see these rats, and Tommen's character is like, oh man, they got food. And like, Schofield's like, is that all you think about? (laughs) And then he realizes, um, as he's grabbing cans of food, he like panics for a little bit because he sees a tripwire. And what that is, is it, it... Tripwire is usually connected to explosive or something that will kill you, and it's not good. And they're like, they're like these guys are trained to deal with tripwire, so they're walking precautiously. But this rat doesn't care, so this rat trips the tripwire because it's the size of a small boy practically, yeah. <laughs> and blows up. And that's when I thought Schofield was dead. And uh, you see Blake, uh, Lance Corporal Tommen, just jump in and just start trying to save his friend. Like he like. Yeah. Here's his friend, like, gurgling, probably on dirt. 
and he pulls him out. And for a second, I thought that that's when the character was dead, but he couldn't have been because in the trailer you see him running. Yeah, <laughs> plot armor. <laughs> he pulls him out, and he can't see because a he probably has a large amount of dust in his eye. He's yeah. probably slightly concussed because it's an explosion in a small area yeah. underground in the Can dark. Can you imagine doing the rest of that with a concussion? <laughs> like the rest of what he did with a concussion. Man, I got it. I could barely function in high school when I got a concussion, <laughs> let alone fight a, a full-on war with a concussion. Because yeah. those helmets did not look sturdy enough no, to handle a blast like that. So they're just gradually getting up, and they just make their way through the tunnel. He's like, just hold on to me. And then they have to jump over like it's Mario and jump over this <laughs> gap. And so... I was like, how did he know how much to jump? He's like, he didn't tell him, like, it's just a little jump. It's just like, jump. As if, like, you don't know if it's, like, two feet, a foot, or, like, <laughs> it's, like, a ten-foot, like, jump. <laughs> But then he just, like, he did, like, a little skip jump, and it yeah, worked. It worked. But then he grabbed onto him a little bit, too, like, Tom's character. That's And, like, they make it out. And the tunnel's collapsing, too. So the Germans probably on their way out. Pro- if they're able to set up whoop tripwire, they probably damage the infrastructure of the tunnel to make sure that it's not as structurally sound. Yeah. And, like, they, they, they hadn't left very... Uh, long afterwards because remember they like kicked over that that bin and it was still kind of like oh yeah there's still skulls uh, there's still coals burning yeah and they make their way out that would be so scary to see like the coal still burning like there's a possibility that there's still probably people here yeah so they make their way out of the tunnel and like he coughs up a bunch of dirt because that's what's gonna happen when you blow up Mm -hmm. and Explosions don't instantly kill you either because he, he, that man for sure has a significant traumatic brain injury. And, oh, for um, sure. I just know, I've just been in the service, haven't been in the service myself. I've met guys that have been in IED attacks and uh, come out to us perfectly fine, but there's still going to be some internal issues and for yeah. sure mental repercussions from that. But, like, it, big explosions don't kill, like, they, they okay, they can kill you. But they don't always do, and you see that in this case, and I've seen it in real life with people I served mm-hmm. with, and but there's still there's still going to be a suffering from the impact. But I think this movie brings up like you really do not have time to mourn anyone, yeah, ever, yeah. And so they're they don't have time for anything. <laughs> you don't have time for emotions, man. Yeah. It's like finals week. You can, you can cry when it's all over. <laughs> Something I did I did notice um, that he was doing uh, like when. He, he had that box that, like, had, uh, they, they don't reveal what's in the box until the end of the movie, but every single time, um, well, this time after he was like, oh, I can't see, I can't see, like, he, like, like opened the box to make sure that he could see what was still in there. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. Because, like, now knowing, like, by the end of the movie, knowing what was in, like, that box is just like it's like his only saving grace at that point like it's his only it's his like it's his floaty you know yeah it's almost <laughs> just keeping him keeping him grounded yeah, exactly like i remember like when like when i go on long missions i usually like i usually have a picture of my family and also i have a cell phone so like it's not really that big of right. deal. it's not like 
it's like when we're on training missions, I'll be usually in somewhere where I, I can, I can, like, I've been in areas like where I had no access, like my phone, they'd either take away our phones or like we just don't have cell phone, like cell phone service. So like I can still just like look at a picture of my family. Right. It's not really difficult. It's 2020. We all have like, <laughs> we have ways. We all have access to that, yeah. yeah. They did it. They did. They did not. <laughs> all they had was like photo albums and his tin can and that was about it. And you see, <laughs> which I like what you realize these guys are just like humans these guys have like families you know yeah and so they're making their way through this like artillery field and you see that the germans had destroyed their guns to prevent them from being used against them and there's like pretty much laying a whole array of destruction as they go through this line and they just keep going through and i thought that part is pretty interesting yeah like, I want to know, like, because there's, like, there's, like, a tank at one point, right? Oh, yeah. There, there's a... It's like, if the, they had a tank... <laughs> well, because, like, this was the first time tanks were used in warfare. was World War One. This is the first major war where tanks had been used, planes had been used, cameras, radios, machine guns. Like the, It's, like, the first, like, modern war or whatever. Yeah. It's like, this was the first war in which, um, like, the, the largest scientific advancements are usually in wartime. Hmm. Because humans have to find the best and most scientific way to kill each other, because that's how we that's just work. how it is. It's so, <laughs> Van, I just love it so much. It's the best. And so, they, they have to figure all that stuff out, so... They make their way through the trenches, I guess, and um, isn't that when they reach the cherry fields or whatever? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because they, they get out of the trenches, they go through the forest, and then uh, uh, the character played by uh, Dean uh, Chapman, uh, he, he starts cracking a joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I'm really not in the mood, and he just keeps going. <laughs> I think they did a lot of, uh, like, like subtle but, like, good ways of, like, making you care for this character, you know? Like, he's, he's a boy. even though there wasn't, there wasn't, like, what? He's a little boy, practically. He's, like... Yeah. He's, like, he's a kid. He's a freaking kid, like, out in the war doing this shit. And it almost seems like he's, like, like, not... He's, like, almost a little bit ignorant to things. Like, he seems, like, almost, like new to um i mean like i don't know how like it all works but it seems like it's like his first time i guess out there yeah because um schofield had been in a battle i think he stayed i think they actually said the battle of the psalm and so he uh so blake hadn't been in battle yet like he had he hadn't seen combat and i've honestly known how that felt for I had been in Thomas' position because I remember I was like, oh, I can't wait to do this, this, and this. And I had a platoon sergeant and said, you don't know shit. Yeah. You're a kid. You Like, they, as they quit being so war horny and just worry about, like... <laughs> right. Which this kid was. He was just horny for violence. And, like, I was naive when I enlisted. And someone set me, someone put me in my place. And having been in for a few... Like, having served my time, I now have a new light of what service was to me compared to when I first enlisted. Mm. And I think Tom is starting to realize, <laughs> Blake's starting to realize that. Right. Is that it's not all fun and games. Like, they literally had just walked through, a, like, a minefield, a trench, watched his friends almost die. 
And he's yeah. still like, oh man, this can't, like, why would you throw away that metal? And that, that thing's badass. <laughs> It, yeah. Schofield's like, is this tin and cloth? I traded it for some wine because I was thirsty. Because yeah. he didn't, like, that metal. Like, it doesn't, he does like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't give it, I don't give a shit about it. Because it was all luck. It wasn't like he was like, I, I've read a lot of reviews just saying that they think that he's a coward. And I was like, ah, oh, I hate, I hate that people um, have that opinion about that character. Because I think he's the most human, like, representation of just any soldier in the war period like you don't like want to be there you don't want to be like a hero most of the time at least you know most you know most people it's like you don't want to just you just want to do your job but that's so terrifying and the only reason that he got that medal was because he fought in a battle yeah it's something the fact that he lucky that he like yeah he like it was a luck of the draw for him that he didn't die you know and so that's why they got these medals. And I think nowadays in the military, like, they keep track of all your medals so you don't literally have to carry it on your chest the entire time. Right. Like, there's things for that because we have things called the internet, which was created by the military because of war. There's nothing can be created without, like, a dark history behind it. Right. Which I just love that about most modern history. <laughs> and so they have to do all these things to figure... Like, he's, he's just, like, saying all these things, and Schofield's getting gradually annoyed, and pretty much tells, tells Blake off, like, I had an older platoon sergeant tell me off when I first enlisted, because I was like, yo, I can't wait to do this and kick ass, and he's like, first off, you're a kid, second, you don't know what, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. And I really didn't. And, like, having, I later on got to know this individual and in his experience, and it kind of sent me back, it kind of, like, made me realize, like, he actually, like, this individual has actually experienced this and lost people, and it affects them, and it's not something to be glorious about. I'm like, he's proud to serve, and I, I, I'm proud that I served, but, you know, I think we get this mindset that, like, we have to kick as much ass as possible, because that's how we have to do things, and in all honesty, it's not always about that. Not to get too political, even though everything's political in society. Thank you, Joker. <laughs> and so, like, so they they go through that whole entire exposition and how like he just this dude misses his family, and I honestly don't see this guy as a coward. I just see him as a guy that just he misses his family. Like he doesn't. This war doesn't mean shit to him. Like this war really didn't affect him. Like, I guess in a greater sense, they get affected if like. The journey, like if like the Axis powers had taken over most of Europe and affected, I guess yeah. But in the greater scheme of things, like it really didn't mean much to him, like how this war affected him. But he had still yeah. to fight it, right? And that's like that was like an interesting part of it is like later on you see foreign soldiers in this movie, like you see the Indian, like the guy that has the 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 turban around his head, and uh-huh. that's a that's an Indian soldier. And you see soldiers from, like, Nambia and Africa. And then you realize, like, the British colonies were pulling... The British were pulling people from foreign colonies and having them fight their war. Like, yeah. India only fought in World War One, from what, most of what I read, strictly because so they can get independence. Which they yeah. didn't get till substantially later on in history. Because <laughs> colonialism. It's great. I love it so much. So... They go through all that, and then they make it to the cherry, the cherry orchard, 
And then he's like, oh, what is this? He's like, oh, yeah, this is a cherry orchard. My mom had one of these back home. And because, like, he's still a kid and he's like, probably still lives with his parents, like many of us. I'm not going to name names, but yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he starts mentioning his brother a little bit. Yeah. And talking about him and how they would, like, help their mom, like, uh, helping with, like, the trees and with the garden and stuff like that. And then they, they go into that uh, barn, right? Yeah. And they check out the barn. Well, because they, he find, they, they check out the house, and he notices, like, oh, this is a family. And then it starts to realize so many people became refugees. Be, refugees yeah. are, honestly, are created because of war. I mean, uh, refu- the refugees will be created and displaced once a foreign country or a war breaks out in that country because people don't want to catch up, be caught up in the violence. Yeah. Because he sees a doll of a little, gir- a little girl's doll. And he was like, oh, this was someone's home at one point or another. Like, a family lived yeah. here and probably farmed all these cows and lived a normal life until the Fire Nation came. Right. It's not just them. Like, it impacts everyone. It, like, it, these people lived on this land, and now the, their land, their home, is now a battlefield. And how that shit just, like, affects everyone. All the people. All the soldiers. Like, uh, it's, just, it's just so sad. Oh yeah, it's honestly depressing. And then it gets to the part when like they see the, the fire, the dog fight up, like the the two planes fighting over, overhead. And they're like, oh sick, they're winning. And then like the, one of them gets shot down. And I don't think they realize that this was a not a a, a not a, a British plane. It was a German plane. Yeah. So the plane crash. Oh yeah, he gets really excited about milk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he sees one living cow, like Schofield does, and he sees a trot. Starts like a, slurping it. <laughs> and I was like, man, it's farm fresh milk. Have you ever actually had farm fresh milk? Um, no. That just sounds disgusting. Well, growing up in Kansas, I've had it maybe once or twice in my life, and it's a unique experience. Like when I like when I would stay in Guatemala with my parent, like my grandparents, I've had fresh goat, goat milk and fresh farm milk, and it's it's something else. And I was like, damn, you're really just digging in there with your Dirty hands that have been through a really dead body. And then he oh, pours yeah. milk inside his canteen. I'm like, dude, that isn't a hydro flask, man. That's just a <laughs> dinkly made a canteen, probably made by the lowest bidder. But you're, yeah, that's that's all gonna go in that milk, and you're gonna drink all of that. And that's all gonna go bad cool. eventually. You're gonna forget it's there. Yeah, that's gonna get warm, bro. <laughs> it's gonna get nasty. I was thinking about that. I was like, God, this is just so so gross. <laughs> in so many ways like that's what that's what like went through my head at first when i was like when i was watching it mm-hmm. and and uh i don't what was what was uh tom blake's character doing at this time was he just messing around like just walking around as being himself yeah yeah i think he, he was just like in the background i think because um, i think he was like in the house or something or like put, um checking out the rest of the the um land and he's like, yo, you got milk? <laughs> yeah. Also, how long was that milk there? Like, that place looked very run down. Like, who who milked the cow? <laughs> yeah, that's what... I don't <laughs> think he really... I don't, I don't think he particularly cared at this point. And no. so, Tommen's, like, Tommen's character's like, hey, uh, we gotta go to, uh... It cost... I can't pronounce it. I'm not French, so I'm just not gonna insult the culture like that. But they have to go to this one town and get past this one river, and then they'll make do with the make they'll meet up with the company, and then they see the firefight happen in the sky, and that plane crashes in the farm, and it's on fire, 
and then you see them pull out this pilot, and I don't think they realized that the... Surprise, surprise, German. <laughs> it's a German pilot. Do you think they realized that at that point, that it was a German pilot? See, I feel like... I mean, they must have, because it's a completely different uniform. Yeah. Like, they must have noticed, and he's not speaking English, he's yelling German at them, so they must have known, but I think that he's just such a sweet guy that he just wanted to help. I guess both of them were just so naive in the fact that they, like, saw this man in pain and were, like, trying to help. Like, I don't really know what's going on in their head because, like, I mean, I don't know. You just want to help someone and then, you know, you get stabbed in the back, literally. Well, you got stabbed in the stomach. The stomach, yeah. And so, uh, Schofield turns around because he's trying to get water and put it in his helmet. Which, I'm like, great, you're going to put water in your helmet, which has been on your what head. What your sweaty head? Which pro- you, you probably haven't showered in quite a while. And <laughs> I'm going to be honest, like, you, having been in the field for, like, 20 days straight, not showering, you, ha- you have a unique odor to yourself, and it's not pretty. <laughs> I uh, just think that hygiene was a thing of a past <laughs> in the war. Like, there was just no such thing as hygiene. <laughs> They're like, mm. Even yeah. now, dude, like... I was a, for for a moment in my life when I was in college, I studied a degree called International Rescue and Relief, and we lived in tents for two months, and we smelled terrible. Most of us smelled really bad, <laughs> females included. They weren't exempt either, and it was bad. <laughs> and like when I enlisted, I spent multiple, like half a month in the field, training, and we smelled bad. And I couldn't imagine what these guys have smelled because they don't have the luxuries that we have today. And oh yeah. I can only imagine how his hair smelled. For how, their hair was nicely kept for how the how dirty everything else was. So he's putting water in the helmet, and then he hears Blake scream, and he Blake's been stabbed, and he just shoots the pilot, mm-hmm. and then realizes Blake's dying. That was such like that scene literally went from zero to sixty. Like it was just so. I wanted to know like how they did all that because it was just so well done like him like you could literally see like the life like draining out of him like he was just so pale and like you could just to see like i don't know it was it was crazy and like how um the blood cloths just like kept filling up with blood i just really want i wanted to know like how they did all that cinematography it's good ass cinematography good ass cinematography that's why Just movies like planning this, and planning, rehearsing forever. They uh they looked at the room by Tommy Wiseau and been like, this is the future of like, film. Like if it wasn't for the movies like the room, felt <laughs> <laughs> the film industry would not exist. Without that, that literally brought cinema up. <laughs> yeah, cinema didn't actually movies didn't exist until the room came out. <laughs> Yeah, the peak of cinema actually is Cats. Oh god, <laughs> I refuse to watch that. Movie. I've seen it twice actually. <laughs> Why? Practicing penance for sins uh, I've committed. <laughs> so they go through all that, and he's this dude's t- like this is an emotional scene, and like uh, I presume yeah. they have been friends, like not good friends, but like they fought together. But like bros, yeah. Yeah, and. He's watching it. He's, his friend is literally dying in his arms. Like, yeah. It's like, like, it's sad too because he like tries to like take him with he, him. He's like, he's like dragging fix, him. He's like, I can fix you. We can fix he's just you. He's in so much pain. 
Like, you can't do it. Like, we can fix this. I'm like, there's no fixing this. You're in World War yeah. One, France. There's no, you yeah. don't, there's no doctors around. This guy yeah, is going to die. So, he just says, will you write to my mother and say I didn't die a coward? Yeah. Ugh, it's so sad. Which is Ugh. like, having like, like been raised by a combat veteran and like my grandfather also fighting, like actually a fought in a war. It's just like seeing that was like a very representation of what like they had probably gone through, what guys in my unit that I used to be in had gone through. And I'm like, dang, this is well, for real. sure. This shit is real, man. This ain't no joke. Oh yeah. Like, I was like, this is some real shit, man. <laughs> and the thing is, like, Scofield was sad, but he didn't really like cry. He just like. It it was it was really I think his performance was like I thought incredible. I think it's just because like at that point. Like, like you said, like, you don't have time to, like, feel emotion. And, like, it's so, like, even when he, uh, you know, he was, like, taking off, like, his dog tag and everything. And then, like, um, the other soldiers come come by, like, pick him up. And they're just like, all right, we got to go. And, like, he just doesn't have any time to mourn. Like, you don't have time. And you don't have time to, like, feel those emotions. And also, he's probably a little bit desensitized as well. Like, he's probably seen so many of his friends die. And we don't know how many times he's had friends die in his arms before. So it's just, like, it's just that perspective of, like, like this young boy who'd, like, barely seen war before is now, like, dead. And he was the one who, like, this was his mission, kind of, you know? And he was going to go save his brother, and yeah. now he's he's dead. He's dead. Now he has to continue. He has to Charlie Mike. Charlie Mike is, like, phonetic alphabet for continue mission and so he meets up with his officer and he explains like I've been ordered by general such and such to make the this and he's like oh you can ride in our trucks and yeah. so he hops in and that's when you see the Indian soldier and all these other guys is pretty much just being dudes it's like cracking jokes yeah. the entire time which haven't been in the service it's like that I remember I've, I've been in the back of a truck and all we did was just say stupid shit but they, yeah. were, they were making fun of officers we have done that but nowadays we're mostly talking about memes and Rick and Morty I mean, like, you gotta distract yourself from doing, because, like, what you're doing is super intense and so draining and, like, taxing on you you're physically and emotionally and mentally, and you have to disassociate, and you have to, and, like, that's the thing that people do all the time, just in any situations. Like, humor is <laughs> really the best way of coping with things. Yeah, these guys are trying to yeah. cope with a lot. And yeah. So the truck gets stuck and Schofield jumps out and it was like, okay, like just like frantically screaming, like, we got to keep pushing. And yeah, these dudes like, are like, go. why? Like, this makes no point. Like, we don't need to hurry. But he actually yeah. does. Like, he has to yeah. make it by day, by daylight to, to, to this, to, to Enfield, I mean, to Evan's company. And so they make it through the push it. And he's like, why is it so important for you to do this? And he explains it. And one of the dudes hands him some whiskey and he drinks a little bit of it to get some liquid courage. Like, nowadays dudes get liquid courage to get, uh, to be able to talk to a girl at a party. No, dudes are drinking liquid courage to, uh, go through war. <laughs> Times have changed. Times have changed. <laughs> so, like, the trucks are blocked off by that bridge. And the, this is the part that I thought was interesting. So he, like, walks away from the trucks and, like, he starts to get shot at. I'm like, could no one have, like, supported him while he's yeah. getting shot at? <laughs> right. Everyone's like, all right, peace out. 
So he you're sh- on your own, dudes. He shoots the German soldier or whatever, the sniper, and then he like climbs up it and opens the door slowly and gets shot by the soldier and falls down the stairs and presumably that was like that was the only scene that they ever did where it was like a black cow cut. Mm-hmm. Like everything else is pretty much like a seamless like. Um, like cleverly like at least like trying to hide like they'd be like pushed behind like rocks or something or like uh anyway but like yeah that was like the first time that they had ever like jump cut because then like when he wakes up it's like nighttime yeah, he and he pa- doesn't he, he doesn't even know how much time has passed because he passed out yeah where did he get shot in his helmet. like in his what he, he got shot in the helmet oh because a- like that that was the like my biggest question <laughs> was just like he got shot but like he was like okay but then i couldn't figure out like where he was bleeding from yeah so i'm reading on something like he was hit by a ricocheting bullet in the helmet uh, so that's what knocked him because he had a helmet on when he wa- when he went in the house but he didn't have it on when he walked out and so he gets shot in the helmet and wrist rip rip and uh, gets another. And threw him down the stairs. <laughs> he has another traumatic brain injury. Traumatic brain injury number two. This boy is not gonna go home right. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's gonna be messed up. So like that happens, and he um, realizes it's nighttime now. I don't think he even bothers going to go check on the German soldier again because that guy's probably dead. So yeah. he just walks through, and he makes it through like this burning city. And, uh, he, is this, is this before or after? Cause he runs into a young woman. Cause he, he sees a German soldier and the German soldier, yeah, a German soldier yeah, chases him. That was him. one of like the coolest shots I thought, like when that whole building was like burning and then you just see this guy like emerging and like, they almost just like stare at each other for a moment. And then like he realized the German soldier like realizes like, oh, this guy is not German and starts like shooting him and running after them that was that was intense like there's, there's and, then, and then he and then he jumps through the um the, the little yeah hole and, and it could have been the a french woman because that that scene was just well shot and like it's it, it still blows my like it's like he tried to do it in one shot but like that whole scene yeah. like that german soldier like because he was he wasn't about to kill him either like schofield just yeah. like waved at him almost yeah because he seems like a nice guy like we don't really know what he did before the war but yeah. he seems like he's just a genuine, like, human guy. And he just weighed at the guy. But the German soldier so subscribed to his personal beliefs, he had to start shooting at him. They could have just made their ways and walked away. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, if you saw an enemy in your territory, it was just like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, you're not just going to oh, be yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'll just let you go. <laughs> I say this, like, I, I say this, like, oh, yeah, I would just, I would, I would totally avoid conflict. I'm like. Hell, dude, this is combat, man. It's down yeah, to... this is like you don't know what that guy's up to. It's, at that point, it's down to the barbarics. Yeah, honestly, which is so tragic. Like, these people who are, like, doctors and, like, school teachers and, like, you know, your mechanic, and then they have to, you know, go and do the most brutal things to each other. It's all down I to thought... the barbarics. Yeah, I know. I thought, like, this scene particularly was so cool because, like, because every all the shots had to be so seamless, like they couldn't like have any like lighting equipment up, and so everything is natural light. Um, like that burning building um, scene when the German soldier comes around, like uh, they had some like uh, lights like in there to like 
uh, mimic what fire would look like, but basically everything else was just, like, shot natural. And, like, there's, like, the only light that comes from above is, like, flares. So, like, all the lighting above is flare lights. And you haven't, I haven't really seen natural lighting done that well since The Revenant. Yeah, The Revenant, Revenant, oh my gosh. It is such a good job. (laughs) And that's a one Leonardo, his Oscar, finally. Finally. He deserved it, though. He got attacked by a bear for that movie. (laughs) I got emotional when that happened, man. That, like, I actually got emotional for Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) Like, Like, bro, you got it. You did it, dude. Not for Inception. Not for... Yo, no. I think he should have won it for Gilbert Grape. He uh, did such a good job with that. People actually thought he was mentally challenged. He should have <laughs> like, got it for almost every movie he's ever done, but the Oscars uh, were a ruse, and it's ridiculous. It's but, true. But enough about Leonardo DiCaprio. It's like a special man for hours. <laughs> Geeking about Leonardo. We could do anyway. that as a future episode. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we go through this whole entire experience, and he... Like, he's getting chased, and he pretty much kicks down this, like, windowsill of a basement and climbs through. It's, like, good thing that was, like, open. Because, <laughs> like, if it wasn't, he'd be dead. Yeah, so he gets down there, and it was, like, almost a horror movie moment when, like, there's so- like there's something in the background, and he turns around, but it's just, a- it's just a nice woman that speaks French, and she starts freaking out because in war, usually the helpless people get taken advantage of, and I'll- yeah. she's probably freaking out because she... Honestly, she probably thought she was going to get raped, and I, I hate to say that, but... That's... I mean, like, you're not wrong. Like, especially, like, a woman in the war, in any situation, she's going to be taken advantage of. One way or another. And so she's probably freaking out, but he's like, I'm not a bad guy. I, He's just trying to say, I'm just trying to get to somewhere. And then, like, she cleans up his head, and then he hears a baby crying. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where you see, like... I think this is the peak of this guy's a generally nice guy... Because he literally, he hears the baby crying and he calms the baby down. And he realizes this guy probably had a family. Like, he knows how to act with children. Like, I know dudes that don't right. know how to hold babies. But this guy seems so natural when it came to talking to this little baby. And she reveals, right. this baby isn't mine. Yeah. This baby was baby. either kid, family either left the kid behind or they died. And so this woman, yeah. out of the kindness of her own heart... uh chose to pick up this kid and take it as their own which is like so heartbreaking because like you don't know like that in war times those kinds of things just happen like people are just trying to save each other or abandon each other and so many tragic stories like that it's all down to the barbarics yeah i thought it was really interesting too that like even though they couldn't really understand each other like they were still like able to communicate somehow I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because I guess, like, they understand, I guess in, like, Europe, like, you understand more of... Like, basic French. Yeah. Because it's more accessible, like, in America, we just, only English exists, and that's the only language you need to know. Right. That's why, like, I'm happy I'm bilingual. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Um, so... (laughs) And so, like, she, he, he, he realizes these people don't have food, and she probably will not be able to get food easily. Like, yeah, like, he's eating shit as a British soldier, but... At least when he meets up with another unit, another battalion, they're going to have a chow hall or access to rations. She doesn't get that luxury. So he yeah. literally dumps out his entire kit and gives it to this woman. And then the milk comes back into play. And she's like, the baby mm-hmm. needs milk. And he's like, oh, 
here you go. Take all this Here's milk Here's the got. milk, which is probably curdled and <laughs> warm and disgusting Some by now. Curds, but hey, you never have cheese curds milk. before? Curdled Cottage milk. cheese? Is that what you said? Yeah, man. Uh, I have, but I... That, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Cottage cheese loaf is the best, bro. Avid to staple. <laughs> And so he gives it to his baby, and then he's like, well, we got to go, bye. And he probably could have got away with abandoning his mission and just staying with his German, this French woman and living out the rest but of I his mean, life. But I mean, like, at the same time, like, because she, she seems so desperate for him to stay, because, like, I mean, I would be too, honestly. <laughs> like, he's, like, not only is he nice, but he's also, he has a gun, and he's able to protect her, and, like, her only, like, protection is now gone. And he now has to leave. And be in enemy territory. Like, it's not even just, like, oh, like, um, you might be in a trench with, like, you know, Germans. You might not. But, like, this is actually, like, you are in enemy territory alone. Like, you have no backup. It's just you. And so, like, the entire time, he's, like, not trying to fight. He's literally fleeing. He's trying to hide and trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. It reminded me almost of this video game called Outlast. Where your objective isn't to fight people, it is literally to survive and escape. Yeah, yeah. Because you see that before. Because that's the, all he can. That's all he can do. Because like the flare scene, like when he's running and people are shooting at him, and the flares are being shot up in the air. Which, mm -hmm. by the way, shooting a flare and seeing how bright everything gets is actually a really eerily cool experience to have. Mm. Unless you're like him and you're running from a hail of gunfire. Right, and then <laughs> being lit up <laughs> like you want to be in the dark. Yeah. And so he makes his way through this... Like, he tries to sneakily and stealthily walk into this house that's been blown to bits because his German mm -hmm. soldier's puking his brains out because he's just drunk because oh, yeah. that's what you do in World War One because you have nothing else to do. Because there's no... Oh, man, I forgot this scene. And he... Man. He tries to tell this kid to be quiet and he chokes a kid to death. Man, that was, that was some brutal shit, man. Because that was in, an intimate death. Oh, yeah. Like, you can, you can shoot people all day long, but then, like, once you're going to, like, actually, like, strangling the life out of someone else that is also a kid, like, trying to do their job, I don't know, that, that was just, that was an intense scene. Yeah, because uh, that kid probably had a mom and a dad, he probably had friends, he probably well, had yeah. a life before the war, and now it's over. But, yeah. like I said, this is, the, war is, it's all to the barbarics in some situations, yeah. man. Like, and it's all about survival. Like, yeah. he's literally just trying to survive. Like, maybe in another dimension, he could have talked his way and be like, hey, I'm trying to do this, let's stop the killing. But, but there's nah, no way he no. really could have done that. There's no peaceful solution situation. to this. There's literally no peaceful solution for any of this to end. Yeah. Which I just thought was super, super dark, but realistic. And he just keeps on running. He's like Forrest Gump, just had to keep on running. Just got to keep going. Yeah, so he runs through, and uh, German soldiers start chasing him as the as light's starting to come up. It's starting to become day. He mm -hmm. jumps into the water, and I uh, I have a phobia of, like, rivers because of a bad experience I had when I had to do river training. Mm -hmm. And, like, seeing the waves splashing, I'm like, dang, I know how he feels. Like, that sucks. He I know what it feels like to almost drown. And to seeing him go yeah. through that, I'm like, yo, this is, the water's probably cold as shit. He's tired as shit. All that, like, stuff that he's wearing is probably weighing him down, so it's probably even more terrifying, because you're, like, drowning on your own, like, gear. Oh, and bullets. 
and bullets are being shot at you. Yeah. It was also, like, super scary because, like, he, like, kept running into those, like, uh, rocks where it's, like, you could just get sucked into one of those and then drown. Like, <laughs> there's yeah. so many times. Oh, uh, just drowned. So that occurs. And so he just, like, makes his way. He for, And then he gets sucked into a waterfall, which I can only imagine was lots of fun as well. Mm-hmm. Being sucked into a legitimate waterfall and possibly drowning in that. And he makes his way. Take. I'm he, surprised, like he didn't like, because he didn't end up taking. Did he take off his uh, like um, the rest of his uh, gear off before or after the waterfall? He took. He took all like his. What he had on is called it. We call it in the army a, an LBV, a load bearing vest. Like that's where we put our bullets and like all our extra gear. He took that off when he. Because that had his little backpack. He took that off when he gave his food to the French woman and the baby. That's right. And Which probably weighed him. It probably took a lot of weight off of him. Because. And this is from like what I've, like what I, what I've experienced in training. Like my upper body weighs up to like 60 to 90 pounds. Because of like all the gear I weigh. All the gear we have. Because nowadays we have bullet. We have armor plated vests. And we have all this extra gear. And so I know what it feels like to take all that gear off. He could still run substantially faster, but he also had like probably thick wool clothing that like is as thick as a Carhartt jacket on. Yeah. And if anyone knows what a Carhartt jacket feels like, it's very thick. Like I have a Carhartt uh, chore coat that I wear at work and it's a very thick coat and it kind of resembles what he probably would have worn. And I can only, I've had it wet and it sucked. I mean, just staying afloat with, like, shoes on is difficult. I could not imagine, like, trying to swim and all that stuff. That existing in water sucks enough, let alone existing in water. Yeah. So, he makes it through there, and he... I just thought this part was just brutal. When you see all the bloated bodies in the river. Yeah, and then he has to climb over all of them to get out. Uh, and then he's just like, just starts sobbing. He's just giving up at this point, almost just like breaking down. This is like the first time that he's really shown like, like any like true emotion. I, this is like the moment I think that's like all hope is lost for this character, honestly. Until he just like he starts hearing singing, right? Yeah, he starts hearing that guy sing, which is like the equivalent to. Now in the U.S., like now in the military, we listen to Little Pump on someone's Bluetooth speaker. (laughs) A modernized version of it. (laughs) Seeing Little Pump in the background. (laughs) I kid you not. I've literally, like, I've literally been on a training mission, like, when we didn't have, like, it wasn't really that serious. We were listening to, like, Little Pump in this random, like, popular rap music. Just (laughs) in the smoke pit. Just chilling. So... World War One. Instead of that, they had a guy singing some song. <laughs> uh, so, but it was like it was. I think that was like a really pivotal like uh, scene as well. It was of him just like walking slowly towards like these soldiers, all like all of these soldiers uh, sitting around this one guy singing, and he just like sits down and starts listening, and it's just. You can just see how tired he looks. You know, how, like, exhausted this guy must be. And just how emotionally drained. And, like, he just wants to he just wants to be done. Like, it almost does seem like he's giving up. Until, um, 
like one of them is like, oh, like you know, who are you looking for? And you know, he says the name, and they're like, oh, that's that's us. Yeah, and but then, like it, it was them, and he says, oh, we're rear, we're like we're uh, we're rear D, but. So the way like these works, whatever they it, they went in waves, and so they're like, right? There was the second, the first people that went out, right? Yeah, because they, they call it something in, in like how, how I've heard of it before in like certain situations. There's Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta Company, and they all do they all have their own individual tasks. So this was Delta Company, so they're gonna be the last wave, and so these dudes are just like, hey, oh, that's us or whatever, and they're like trying to help him, but he's like, fuck it, I'm just gonna like, I gotta deal with this on my own. This like don't bother yeah. me, and this like keeps on running. And he's, like, pushing to all these people. Like, he honestly maybe could have, like, gotten there a little bit more efficiently. But he did not care because he's, like, he needs to stop this. Because they're, they're, right. they're, 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 go they're moving into position. Like, these guys will die if they don't, ha if no one stops them. Mm -hmm. And so he starts making this way through the trenches. And he runs to this one officer. He's, like, don't fucking interrupt me or whatever. He's like, I need to talk Freaking to Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, I need to talk to the Colonel, and so he runs into all these people, or whatever, and um, he runs into this like one like this one officer who's literally sobbing because this guy's probably scared as shit to oh, die, <laughs> because once that that whistle blows, everyone is gonna go over the top. Yeah. And this guy, and you, and you know that you're probably gonna be one to die. Oh like, yeah, it's, your odds are very low. Like, this is World War One. Like, there isn't a lot of hope for y'all, fam. Like this. Yeah. Like it's not that pretty. And so they essentially, like, the whistle's blown. Everyone starts going through the top, and he's like, "Well, no, actually, before the whistle is blown, he starts climbing over because he realizes uh, yeah. the fastest way is going to be through the uh, the grass." So he starts walking over. The whistle is blown. He's like he trips a few times over, uh, like living and dead soldiers. And he makes his way to the. I think he said it was like three hundred meters. So he runs three hundred meters, jumps into this trench. Met, uh, these two guard, these two soldiers are blocking the door. He fights both of them. But like during that scene though, when he's like running, you know, like um, and like all the explosions are going off, like they only had like four like takes to do that yeah to do that one scene like they all had four and so like when like the other like when he's like getting like run into by those soldiers like that's real <laughs> like those extras are actually like running into him yeah man and like, that's crazy like i don't know just like this super interesting like you, you just can't like not stop rolling <laughs> it's just gotta keep going it's movies like this that give me hope for cinema of the future like I, I, I bring this up a lot about how I love and hate Marvel at the same time. Because I Why do. Why do you hate it? Because it's too popular. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> it's just like, there's things that are like, I like I don't, okay, we'll talk about this at the end of the episode. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he, uh, he goes into whatever and he makes it through and he meets up with, uh, Kennedy, he makes up with Sherlock Holmes himself, Benedict Cumberbatch, who's his officer. Yes. And, He's like, no, we're going to continue through with this. We're not going to stop. And then he pulls out the letter and he reads the letter and he calls off the battle. And, um, which is a miracle that he still had that letter after going through all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he, all this happens. He calls with the battle at office. He says, get the fuck out of, get the, get out of here. And this yeah. other offices, you saved a lot of guys lives today. 
But the other, like, but the other officer goes on a rant. He's like, "They're gonna call off the battle today. They sent us to go die tomorrow. Th- this yeah. is ridiculous." Yeah. Because like when you pay attention to like what some of these ribbons are, like some of the ribbons these guys are wearing. Like this guy has fought in multiple wars. Like he has the Irish flag, like the Irish war panel. So he fought. He probably fought alongside the Irish. Or, uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't actually remember how British emblem like medals work, but. Like those are very significant to things he has done in his career. So he's done this before, and he's, he's very fought. decorated. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike uh, Schofield, the only fought in the Battle of the Somme, and so he's just fighting his way through all this shit. Yeah. And then officer thanks him, and so he's like, "Oh, I need to go find uh, Lieutenant Blake," and he's like, "Oh, he was in the first wave, but you can check the casualty area. Most likely, like hinting like, oh, he's probably dying if he's in the first wave." Yeah. And he's making his way through all these bodies or whatever. And you literally see wounded, horribly wounded men getting taken out. Yeah. Because, like, and these yes. are probably the guys they could say. There's probably guys that are just litter the battlefield that can't move, but they couldn't be picked up with someone. So they'll probably either die from the elements or... Oh, yeah. That's, like, a really heartbreaking part of World War One. is just, like, just how many people are actually probably still alive, like, on the battlefield. But because, like... It's just so, it's such a dangerous zone to be in. Like, no one's going to go out there and save you. Oh, You're yeah. just going to die. I guess the difference uh, between, like, war now and war then. Like, wars before the invention of, like, modern medicine. Like, large-scale battles like this, dudes would just, like, I remember, I don't remember what war it was, but I was reading, it was, like, a war before this time, way before this time. And they were talking about how you could still hear the cries from the battlefield. Because guys are so horribly injured and dying. Yeah. I think it might have been the civil, the American Civil War. For all you non-Americans listening to this podcast, like, not to get mixed up with the thousand civil wars that happen every day, and uh, right. So these there's they're probably there's probably guys still out there that could have been saved but they couldn't get picked right. up, and so he's making his way through the triage field, and this doctor's like, if you're not here to get seen or help, get the fuck out. Yeah. And so he's like making his way through and he's like yelling Lieutenant Blake and he runs in Lieutenant Blake, which is Richard Madden, who plays Robert, Robert, Robert Stark. In, uh, a beautiful man. He plays Robert Stark in Game of Thrones and he plays the bodyguard in Bodyguard, mm-hmm. a British TV show on Netflix, whoever hasn't seen it. <laughs> I have not seen it. <laughs> I have a lot of time on my hands, man. I watch a lot of TV and movies. And so he runs into him or whatever, and he, like, meets up with them. He's like, oh, go get some food. And he's like, your brother is dead. I, uh, he died a hero, and can I write to your mom? And he, like, says, yeah. And he hands him his brother's dog tags and his rings that he had on him. And his brother doesn't really, his brother, he, obviously his brother is shaken at the fact, like, he found yeah. out his little brother, who he grew up with and helped him in the cherry orchard with, is dead. Like, yeah. me and my brother aren't the closest, but I guarantee you, if someone went up to me, like, oh, your brother died, I'd probably be a little emotional, or very It emotional. was really, it was upsetting, too, because he was, like, he got a little excited, too, because he's like, oh, you're with my brother, is he here? And he's like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> like, that's, that's hard, because there was, like, right before he heard the news, there was a little, like, glimmer of hope that he would see his brother again. Yeah, that he'd run to his family but yeah. that hope dies when he realizes his brother's dead. But you yeah. can see his character, like, is not Lieutenant Blake is not trying to break down because he has to look strong for his troops because mm-hmm. no one wants to see the lieutenant 
breakdown. So like the way it breaks down in like military works, like you have a, you have a lieutenant which was Blake, and you have a platoon that's under his command. The way it worked for us when I was in, and there's like a good twenty to thirty guys under his command, and you follow whatever you and there's a chain of command under that. But the basic is twenty do twenty to thirty dudes follow this one guy's command. And he probably doesn't want to break down in front of his troops who have to follow him later into battle. Right. Because, you know, masculinity, you're not allowed to cry. Right, and especially back in 1917. <laughs> yeah, women couldn't vote until, like, 1922 in America. Yeah. <laughs> women suffrage, yeah. So, Hell yeah. <laughs> and so all this occurs, and he says, I need to write to your mom. And he says, yeah, go ahead. And your brother was a brave soldier. All that casual things happened at the, near the end of a war movie. And, uh, he just walks away and leans up against a tree looking at a beautiful scenery, which is really weird. Like behind that scenery, there's a battleground filled with thousands yeah. of dead soldiers, but he started the movie leaning up against a tree and then he breaks out the metal can again. There it is. And it's a, it's like his wife and his kid, right? Yeah. It's like a, yeah. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's like, he is a baby and he, he has a family. <laughs> Yeah, which is weird because, like, he never, he never, like, he brought up he had a family because he says, I had to go see my family, I, I got to go back and see my family, but I hated it because I knew I was going to have to leave. Yeah. And so, which is kind of bittersweet, yeah. And so that all occurs, because he, he never really said, I have a wife and a kid, but he kind of yeah. saw, he's a nice guy, like, he's a very kind human being for everything he's trying to do throughout the movie, and he's good with kids. And, like, did the French woman ever ask, like, oh, do you have kids? No. No. Oh, wait. Maybe she did. Wait. I, cause I, I feel like she did ask, and then, like, he's like, oh, I have to go, or something like that. Yeah, because I don't think he... Maybe he just didn't want to say, I have a kid, and because he just didn't want to and essentially worry right. about the fact his right. kid's a thousand miles away back in the UK, and right. he's over in France. You just gotta not think about it. You yeah. gotta stay in the zone, or whatever. And so he's just leaning up against this tree, looking at his wife and kid, and just... Cuts the black. Ugh. Just the... I just love that. Like, that... 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 Parallel of the beginning and the end of the movie. Just, like, starting and ending at a peaceful shot. But, like, knowing so much destruction and violence and pain is, like, just surrounding that area. Like, that's... Ugh. It's heartbreaking. Um... Yeah, I think this movie is very cathartic in showing the true emotions or lack of emotions within war. And just showed, like, how that officer really didn't want to stop it. He was like, we're yeah. already here, already gone this far. And he, he gave a good reason why. He's like, they're just going to tell us to do the exact same thing tomorrow. And there's no end to it. Just They should let us do it. But the other officer's like, hey, you, you saved a lot of men's lives today. And... We don't know what the future of this character holds. We just know that he followed his mission. And I like that about this movie because I feel like there's war movies that just follows the entire war, which could be months at a time. And yeah, but this was just one day. That's why this, and I don't know if you ever saw the movie Fury with Brad Pitt. I've heard of that. And the guy that's I've in Perks of a Wallflower. Well, that's a movie oh, that's... Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good movie, too. In my opinion, a good war movie because... It's just like an entire day in a two-hour span, and you're able to get so much emotion in it. Because like some more movies, this last months at a time, and yeah. a lot can happen, and a lot of battles can happen. Luckily, in this, 
it's just like the they fit an entire day into that short amount of time, and they do it yeah. so well in one shot, yeah. practically. Yeah, and it just goes to show you like how much goes on. Because, like, when you watch movies, it's like, oh, it goes, like, months at a time. You're just like, wow, like, this is a lot. But, like, you don't really realize that, like, it's a lot just every day. Yeah. I was like, these go- these guys were going through so much, way more than, like, what we had to go through. Yeah. And so, like, w- oh, yeah, so on the rating system of writing reviews, we do it by how many slaps or spanks you'd give this episode. And- <laughs> So, like, how many slaps or spanks would you give this movie? We do it out of one out of ten. Like, st- like, <laughs> what's the reason? Like, slap is, like... like it's just, it's, just, it's like, it's like one out of ten. That's how we said it. Like, we just, being goofy one day, and we said, oh, we're gonna mm. do it out of... Sl- <laughs> we're gonna do it out of slaps and spanks. Damn. Okay. I'm gonna say... I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten spanks. <laughs> I would say so as well, just because the movie is so good. It's like yeah, such a well written movie, and it's well written. It's well like choreographed. Like oh my goodness, like how much went into making this movie is just so incredible, and how much I guess I I just really appreciated the realism because like I I can appreciate a really good war movie, but it takes a lot for me to really appreciate a war movie just because I feel like I've seen so many where they just try, it's almost like they just try too hard to make it seem like glorified when war definitely isn't like, it isn't that like, um, uh, all amazing is like a lot of films like to, um, say it is, I guess. I mean, I've never been in a situation, even close to a situation of, war but knowing from like hearing stories and experiences that i've heard from other people it's just like it's more of just the long-lasting impact and horrific i guess uh, situations that you're a part of that you will never be able to um live out you know like he's just gonna have ptsd for the rest of his life (laughs) Yeah, and I think, like, having, like, several members, like, my dad being a war veteran, and, like, my grandpa, I have a kind of a great understanding, like, I, I've never, I never actually went to war myself and during my time in service, but I definitely got to talk to other guys that did, and I feel like this movie, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. yeah. which honestly is, like, one of the best war movies ever made. I mean, it's Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> no, dude, anything made by Kubrick's is sheer fucking gold. Yeah. If you talk to co-host, disturbing as hell. <laughs> if you ever talk to co-host Kyle, he is literally just like horny for Stanley Kubrick. It's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> He's seen The Shining over three hundred times. Uh, the Shining's such a good show. Yeah. So um. Yeah, this was an overall good film. I think it deserves all the Oscars it deserves, in my yes. opinion. Yes. How many spanks would you give it? Nine uh, out of ten. <laughs> nine out of ten spanks. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's going to be the end of this episode. Hey, uh, yeah, I forgot to add this into the episode. So um, before watching 1917, I decided to watch the movie Johnny Has His Gun, which is an anti-war film about an individual who loses his arms, legs, mouth, like his ability to speak and his eyes. And the whole premise is he wants to be put on circus display to show, I th- to believe the horrors of war and maybe won't happen again 
and that doesn't go as planned. It is it's a long it's a it's a beautiful film in my opinion. And if you watch the Metallica music video one segments of that, that whole song's literally about Johnny has his gun and it's a good book too. So you might want to check that out as well if you check out nineteen seventeen. Just uh just a little caveat onto the episode. And if you ever want to be on an episode, if you know to get a hold of anyone that's part of the Rowdy Reviews crew, just let me know and we can figure something out.